0: A true conversion causes works befitting of repentance, which means that there is a visual, tangible, and complete change of life, and that they are even looking to right the wrongs that they have committed against others, starting with those they have sinned against in the past. That's how you can tell if you have really turned to God with all of your heart, and that you are truly allowing Him to direct your life. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. Today we'll be talking about a change in life. People need to get to a point where a complete change must take place in them, not for the sake of making certain adjustments or improvements, but to alter the course to a certain and eternal death. When Christ is not at the center of a person, when He is not effectively leading every single aspect, There can be no eternal life. So there must be a change in life. There must be a complete transformation. Today's message is inspired on Acts chapter 26, verses one through 23. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Blessed Lord, hallowed and glorified be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Blessed are you, O Lord God, for your goodness and mercy and grace. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the opportunity of eternal life through him. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are in the business of changing our lives, of transforming them, and helping us to become what we should have become right from the beginning, what you made us for. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks, O God, that you are a God of hope, and that, Lord, that you have so many plans for us and so many great things for our lives. Heavenly Father, help us to be sensitive to you. Help us to have humble hearts and minds. Help us, O Lord, Heavenly Father, to be able to listen, but most of all, to be able to do what you want us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Today's key passage reading is in the book of Acts, chapter 26, verses 1 to 23. This is the word of the Lord. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in our customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first. If they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived the Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem And many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. While this occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O King, along the road I saw light from heaven, "'brighter than the sun, shining around me "'and those who journeyed with me. "'And when we all had fallen to the ground, "'I heard a voice speaking to me "'and saying in the Hebrew language, "'Soul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? "'It is hard for you to kick against the goads.' "'So I said, Who are you, Lord?' "'And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. "'But rise and stand on your feet, "'for I have appeared to you for this purpose.' and to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. One of the things we should look at first is what caused this change in Paul? What made him convert? We can say quite confidently that Paul finally paid attention. Now, someone might say, it seems like God made a direct and miraculous call to Paul that was unavoidable. And yes, God's call to Paul was very obvious, but there is one thing that we need to mention, and that is that God calls people all of the time, and it is very obvious. In Romans chapter one, verse 20, which we read many times, it says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God is calling all people all of the time, The problem is that people are so focused on their own concerns and on fulfilling their own desires that they don't pay attention to things that are incredibly obvious and that affect them personally. There is just too much taken for granted. Every time the sun rises and sets, that is God's way of telling us that he is there and that it is not an accident. From the cosmic to the microscopic, to our own personal subsistence, through every single thing created, God is saying, here I am to everyone. Someone might say, how does God affect me personally? And the answer is that everything within you and around you consists and exists because God wills it because of God's say so. In Colossians chapter one, it says, for by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things consist. And so think about your body's so-called involuntary actions. You think your heart beating, your breathing, and your mind handling any and all functions that you don't even think about doing consciously happen by accident? Do you really think that everything you see and experience is truly an accident? I know that many so-called scientists propose that everything is just a product of some accident again millions and millions of years ago. But do you really believe that? I submit to you that based on the intricacies of everything that exists, including our own person, you and I, that it is impossible for this all to be an accident. It's just not possible for evolution to be the answer. God is behind all of this. God was and is involved in every single aspect of existence, in the things we see and know about and so many other things we cannot see and know absolutely nothing about. Can we be so bold to say that we know everything there is to know, even in our very small planet? If we have any kind of self-awareness, we should admit that our knowledge is incredibly limited and that it is not logical to theorize that the answer to existence is an accident. There is just too much order and organization in the universe to believe that these things just happen somehow. If people in general just asked, Who did all of this? And how can I know him who is behind it all? God would reveal himself to them. For it is written, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. But the problem therein lies again that people are more focused on what they want and on their own little, tiny, and insignificant worlds, if you will. Many so-called believers would rather prefer to use this same passage to mean that God is there to just tend to their whims and selfish desires. This is not what this passage should be used for, nor was that the intent. Jesus said this so that we ask about God, so that we seek God, and so that we knock at God's door, but with the right mindset and disposition. If a person goes looking for God with the mindset that God doesn't exist or just to refute his reality or to even just try to use God, Do you think that God is going to show himself in any kind of way? Absolutely not. That's why people in general never get to the answer of God despite the answer staring them in the face because of disbelief and ulterior motives. People in general are so set in their ways that they don't even bother asking a legitimate question and seeking genuinely to find the answer. Because if they did, honestly, truthfully, and respectfully, They would find the answer and God would reveal himself to them like he has done to me and so many others throughout history, like he did with this Paul that we're reading about. Revelations chapter 30 verse 20 tells us what God does day in and day out to everyone, where it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. This is something that we need to understand also as a group. We are talking about the God of the universe and not some guy. Let's put this in terms that we can hopefully understand. All of our own prime ministers and presidents and other high governing individuals are people just like you and me, right? They are made of the same flesh and have the same blood. In summary, they are people. Yet even though they are people because of their position and so on, do you think anyone can just show up and tell them what's what? Can I just walk up to the White House unannounced without any kind of prior authorization and tell President Biden what he should or should not do? If I try to do that, I don't think I will even make it past the gate, especially if I try it by force. There are all kinds of protocols and security that need to be dealt with. And even then, I just can't tell someone in power what to do or not do. Now imagine the God of the universe, the God that has made everything and is over everything, the God that has the right and power to either let you into heaven or cast you into hell for all eternity. Should we even think about approaching him with some kind of wrong and or disrespectful attitude? In the interest of self-preservation, I would strongly recommend to approach the living God with the utmost respect. Jesus is not anymore the humble human form that came to die on the cross. Ladies and gentlemen, he is not hanging on the cross anymore. He is not even in the tomb. He is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God in his immovable and unshakable place for all eternity as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one who was and is and is to come, the one who reigns forever and ever. This is why it is written, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Who is he talking about here? He is talking about God. We need to fear God for our own good. Faith and humbleness are the key to everything divine and eternal with the Lord. So it is not just about believing in God, but we must approach him with the right disposition with extreme humbleness. So what really changed Paul's life? When Jesus became his Lord, when Paul found himself on the ground, blind, broken, he was ready to pay attention and he uttered the right words that expressed what was in his heart as we read again. And when we all had fallen to the ground, this is what he's telling the king, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I, Paul said, who are you, Lord? This is the best question he could have ever asked, and with the right disposition. He called Jesus Lord. The profoundness in this is truly remarkable. And the moment he asked, the Lord told him what to do. He revealed himself to his soul. And the Lord Jesus Christ became a reality to Paul at that very moment. It wasn't necessarily the bright shining light that threw him and others around to the ground that brought the personal knowledge of Jesus Christ to his life. It was the recognition, the acknowledgement, and the enthronement of the Lord in his life that made it possible for the Lord to reveal himself and his purpose to him. Paul made Jesus the effective and literal Lord of his life, and he asked to know him without any reservations, without any kind of doubt and uncertainty, without any kind of pride being present. All pride and arrogance were gone at that moment. I can tell you this because I came to know the Lord personally, not through a shining bright light, but when I saw my world shaken and falling apart, when I saw my family breaking apart and my health deteriorating, where all hope was lost. I had an idea on who God was and what Jesus Christ did for me, but I never came to that moment of complete humbleness, brokenness and surrender until God spoke to me through a person and I was paying attention. I was ready to listen. I wasn't ignoring God anymore. I wasn't taking for granted what the cross meant anymore. My fallen and broken condition helped me to be 100% attentive to God when he spoke to me through this stranger that I had never met before in my life. But even though I was very young, had I heard of God and Jesus Christ before? You bet, I knew it all. When the gospel was shared with me, I didn't need any kind of explanation. I knew exactly who the Lord was and what he did for me. But again, I was too focused on myself because I was too confident on what I had. I didn't even feel curious because I was so arrogant and spoiled and like that blind, deaf, and dumb to my true fallen state. But when I was stripped from everything I was confident in, God had finally had my undivided attention. It's funny how that works, no? Does God want to break us down, make our lives difficult and painful so that we can come to at least Ask who he is? Absolutely not. It wasn't necessarily his desire to bring Paul to nearly losing his life in that encounter, just like it wasn't necessarily his desire to break my own life. So why does that happen? Our own arrogance, pride, and our hardness of heart is what determines that something like that needs to happen. It is the saddest and most unfair thing that happens that most of us choose to look for God when all hope is lost, when we have nothing to cling to, when we have been broken and or torn apart by our own sin. How would you feel that the only way a person would ever pay attention to you is when they have nowhere else to go and nothing more to cling to, when they try everything else and only come to you because everything else has failed them? I would absolutely hate it. But that is what most people do with God. And even then, many still choose to reject him and to judge him and to scorn and even hate him at that point. Most people only look to try to use God, which makes it even more awful. Do you like to be used, to be thought of as some sort of pawn, as some tool that can only be useful when needed, and then discarded when you have served their purpose? I think not. Well, that is what most people do with God. That's what they try to do. And do you think that God is going to reveal himself to them with that kind of mentality and disposition? I can say quite certainly that he is not. He is good and full of love, but he is also worthy. God is God. And so moving forward, what are the fruits of a true conversion? How can you tell when a person really believes in the Lord? A true conversion causes works befitting of repentance, which means that there is a visual, tangible, and complete change of life and that they are even looking to right the wrongs that they have committed against others, starting with those they have sinned against in the past. That's how you can tell if you have really turned to God with all of your heart, and that you are truly allowing him to direct your life. As another example, we can look at the life of Zacchaeus, where we can see this turning point, if you will. The story of Zacchaeus can be found in Luke chapter 19, where it says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, Salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now notice that Jesus said that today salvation has come to this house when he heard what Zacchaeus said about giving half of his goods to the poor and restoring fourfold if he took anything that he wasn't supposed to, if he stole from anyone. When Zacchaeus said that, that is when Jesus declared that salvation had come, when there was a change in life, when there was a desire and decision made to right any wrongs. Are you looking to right the wrongs that you have committed, that you have done? Are you looking to repay with good those people you may have wronged in the past somehow? In Luke chapter 3, it says, Then he, this is John the Baptist, said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There needs to be a change in life. We can't continue practicing sin. We need to turn away from our sinful ways. And when we first initially come to the Lord, we need to not only turn from our sins, but we need to look to right the wrongs we have committed to others. When we sin, we usually hurt people along the way. If we have stolen from someone, We should try to return what we have stolen. If we have hurt people somehow, we should try to somehow repair that hurt. If we have broken relationships wrongfully through adultery or lying, we should go back to that person we've hurt to acknowledge what was done wrong and to try to at least make up for the heartache that was caused. There are many ways to show fruits worthy of repentance. But above all, when we have sinned against the Lord, we should learn to return his love to him like Paul did. Paul turned from his ways from persecuting the Lord to preaching his gospel, to loving and serving the Lord all the days of his life, until he finally died for the Lord. Paul looked to do the Lord's will all of the time. Paul changed from doing what he thought was right to what the Lord told him to do. That is what should happen when God is invited into a person's life. A person should no longer look to do what he or she wants to do, because that way still leads to death. The only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. And so we need to do as he tells us to do. We can't find that way of salvation on our own. We need to allow ourselves to be guided by the Lord. Otherwise, even if a person says that they believe in God, if they are not letting the Lord effectively guide them and doing as he says, they will still be lost and without any kind of hope for the future. That is the practical reason for why Jesus needs to be the effective and literal Lord of a person's life. This is what the Lord said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so entering into God's kingdom doesn't even involve necessarily being moral or doing things that seem spiritual or religious. We saw that quite clearly in the passage we just read. Just because a person can prophesy or preach in God's name or cast out demons in God's name or even do wonders and miracles in God's name doesn't mean that they will be allowed into God's kingdom. That sounds weird and odd, but that's the way it is. Jesus is saying here that a person needs to do the Father's will in order to enter his kingdom. But someone might say, well, isn't it God's will for a person to preach or to cast out demons or to even do miracles in his name? And the answer is yes. But the main thing is that a person needs to do whatever they're going to do for the right reasons and under the authority and guidance of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord may or may not want a person to preach or cast out demons or do miracles or whatever else. And of course, what God is mostly interested in is in a person's heart. He is more concerned over the why they're doing things. Are they doing whatever they are doing because they love the Lord or for some other reason? This is what the Lord says. The heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. God is after our heart. He is more concerned about the why we do things than even the what and how. And the Lord sees and knows everything. And he will give everyone according to their heart. That is why a person must completely turn away from all sins and turn to the Lord with all of their heart, with everything they are. That is why the word says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is the all of man. This is what we all need to do, the foundation for everything. And this is why we must turn away from sin completely and fully and turn to the Lord so the Lord can allow us into his kingdom. This is the way a person's life can truly be changed, transformed, and made completely new. And this is the only way that God will reveal himself to you when this decision, this choice is made with all of your heart. This is how a life changes forever. So here are some things to think about. Are you truly paying attention to the Lord? Have you reached that point where God has your undivided attention? Have you repented and converted from all your sins? Have you made Jesus Christ the effective and literal Lord of your life? Are you looking to do the Lord's will? Are you trying to right the wrongs you've committed? These are all things that need to happen in a person's life so that they can effectively change and become a new person, a new creature in Christ. Is it easy? No. But this is what it takes to deny oneself if we want to follow Jesus Christ. The Lord said this, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. We must deny ourselves. We must let go of our sinful ways and look to do the Father's will under the Lord's complete supervision. This is the only way we can have eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way, and so Jesus must become our all, our priority. He must take precedence over everything. It can't be, I'm just going to add Jesus into my life. He is not an addition or an accessory. He must become the center of your life and everything else must become a distant second. The word says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. You see, God is in the business of changing lives. And doing incredible and impossible transformations. He wants to create fresh and new beginnings for people so that all can be transformed from death to life. He is in the business of resurrecting souls that are dead in sins. For it also says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the Word also says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We deserve to die eternally for our sins, whether there are a lot of sins or a few sins, but God is more than good by giving us the opportunity for salvation through Jesus Christ. But we must do as he says. We must be under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We must surrender our lives to him and take our direction from him. He is the only one that can guide us to eternity so we can have immortality. Therefore, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I urge you today that if you have not yet made a decision to turn away from all of your sins and to receive Christ, to become one with Christ, to follow the Lord, make that decision right now. Turn with all of your heart so that your life can have an effective and eternal change. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, Thank you, O God, because you want to take us away from our fallen state. You want to make us new people, different people, people that can have eternal life. Thank you, O Lord, because you do not repay us according to our sins. But Lord, you have mercy on us, you have grace on us, and you give us the opportunity to turn away to follow you with all of our hearts thank you O lord heavenly father that you have made it possible through your son jesus christ thank you heavenly father that you have established it on faith and on love heavenly father help us to have the faith that we need and help us to learn how to love you as you deserve to be loved Help us, O Lord, so that our lives can truly be changed and made different and new in you and through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray for every person that's listening right now. and I pray, Heavenly Father, Holy God, I pray that you speak to their hearts and minds, that you help them to understand that this is a decision that they must take if they want to, in fact, live forever. That they must turn from all of their sins, leave it all behind, and turn to you with all of their heart that they must surrender to Jesus Christ as the Lord of their lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website, If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes store under The Ladder Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Ladder Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and his truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.